Hi, everybody, and welcome to this Wednesday night's uh, teaching. And uh, it's so good to have you with me online. And uh, we've got a good one tonight. Now, you know, we've been dealing with the questions that Jesus asked of others. You know, so often we have questions for God. Where were you? Why didn't you help me? Are you really there? Do you really answer prayer? Are you blessing somebody else more than me? Uh, we, we ask God questions, some big questions, some little ones, but God also asked us questions and Jesus sure did. And Jesus, of course, was God, God, the son. So we've been looking at different questions that Jesus asked people. And this is our third time together. I'm going to do it one more week after this, and then we'll move on to something else. But I've been learning from this series and I hope you have too. If you have your Bibles, grab them. I'm going to be reading primarily out of the New King James Version. I should say exclusively. I don't think I have any other version I'm using. So, New King James. And um, I'm going to read the questions, and then I'm just going to talk to you about those questions. Because remember, when Jesus asked a question, it was certainly not because he needed an answer from us. Jesus knows everything. And so, uh, when he asked a question, it was always designed to elicit thought, meditation, contemplation, pondering what he had said. It was a teaching mechanism on Jesus' part, first and always. So we're going to let Jesus ask us these questions. And then we're going to try to get to the bottom of what he was wanting us to learn, okay? So the first one, I guarantee you, this one, you're going to be all in on, because we've all done this. But in Matthew 6, 27, Jesus asked this question. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? Now, that's amazing. Um, Jesus is talking here about worry. Now, I don't know about you, but I've worried with the best of them. I was raised in a family uh, of worriers. My dad was a worrier. All of his in-laws were known for being sort of nail-biting worriers. And uh, so, I learned early on, how to worry. And I had to unlearn it. Now, this question comes from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is delivering the greatest discourse on essentially everything having to do with life and living. There's very few things that Jesus didn't touch on. Uh, he, he just touched on everything. Some examples, anger. He dealt with unforgiveness, loving your enemies, prayer, earthly treasures, um, Judging others, the narrow road that leads to life, the wide road that leads to destruction. And of course, Jesus dealt with worry because worry is something we all do. And it's something that all of us need to unlearn. We need to learn not to worry and to trust God more. And so we're all learning. I don't think we ever arrive from zero to a hundred overnight regarding worry, but who amongst us hasn't worried themselves half to death about certain things. Um, who hasn't uh, worried that something bad was going to happen? That's what worry is. Worry is backward faith, if you think about it, because faith is believing that God's going to break through for you. It's believing for something good. So worry is believing that something bad's going to happen. That's, that's what worry is. So we can say that worry is hell's faith. It's hell's version of faith. Uh, you're, you're believing, literally, that something bad's going to happen. 
Now, some of you may be worried right now. You're worried about money. You're worried about a relationship. You're worried about your children. You're worried about your health. You're worried about something. Maybe you're worried about getting COVID. Maybe you're worried that you've got COVID. Uh, well, if so, I want us together to consider Jesus' question because it wasn't aimed at any one person, but it was aimed to all of us, all right? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, literally commands us not to worry three times, three distinct times, and he tells us not to worry about three particular things. Here they are. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or drink. Uh, and don't worry about tomorrow. So don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink, provision issues. And don't worry about what tomorrow may bring. Don't be worried about the future. Now, in the question we read, Jesus asked an absurd question to make a point. Now, another version puts it this way. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit or 18 inches to his height? Which of you, by worrying about it, let's just say you're born on the short side. And so you're worried. Um, am, am I ever going to be taller? Let's say you're growing up. I remember as a kid, when I was like 13, 14 years old, you're not going to believe it, but I was about five foot three. And I worried. I remember worrying back then that I was never going to grow taller. My dad was tall. My dad was six foot two. All my relatives uh, on the male side were tall. My mother was more tall than not. And so I was, you know, here I was five, three, 14. And I was wondering, well, am I ever going to grow? And Jesus said, if you're worrying about growing in height, it's futile because worry is never going to solve a thing. So our immediate reaction to his question is, of course, Lord, worry about my height is not going to make me grow. It's not going to do it. Of course, so you, you've asked me, Lord, an absurd question, but sometimes Jesus would ask an absurd question to make a point. He would embellish things sometimes in comments that he made to make a point, to drive home a point. And his question about, hey, which of you, by worrying about how tall you are or that you may not grow, that worrying is futile. It can't do a thing to help you grow. Worrying won't solve anything for any of us. You'll never change the height you were born with. Not ever going to happen. By worrying, you're not, not going to change the color of your hair, the color of your eyes. Uh, you're not going to change a lot of things by worrying. As a matter of fact, worrying never solves anything. That's Jesus' point. So stop and think with me a minute. What are we learning from his question? We're learning that if worry can't make me grow or can't add time to my lifespan, then worrying can't solve a thing. It's not going to solve anything. So is worrying about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, uh, what brand name you're going to wear, what you're going to drive, what house you're going to live in, how much you're going to make. Is worrying about it going to solve anything? And Jesus' answer is nothing. Worrying isn't going to solve a thing. Now, here's what it will do for you. It'll take your sleep away. It'll put a knot in your stomach. It'll give you ulcers in your stomach. Uh, it will 
You know what? It won't add time to your life, and it might take away some of the time from your life. You know, if you're always worried, because worry is a, is a form and manifestation of fear. So if I'm worried, I'm afraid. If I'm afraid, that does all kinds of bad things to the chemicals in my system. It, it affects you negatively in many different ways. So Jesus wants us to learn from his question. It is totally non-constructive to worry. Somebody said that worry is like a dark room where negatives are developed. I like that. Somebody else noted that worry is interest paid today on tomorrow's troubles. I'm going to say that again. Worry is interest paid today on tomorrow's troubles. You're paying interest on troubles that haven't even arrived yet. Sandwiched between Jesus' admonitions that we not worry and his glorious assurances of God's care for us, that is, when Jesus said, don't worry, he launched into some incredible messages on how God is going to take care of you and you don't have anything to worry about. Uh, he, he, they would be walking down a, a road. Jesus taught this way all the time. He and the disciples are walking down a road. All around them is nature. And Jesus just points out to nature. He said, behold, the birds of the air. They, 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 they don't sow, they don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds every one of them. Are you not much more valuable than them? And they said, now look over here at the lilies of the field. They don't work. They don't spin their clothing. And yet I tell you that Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So in between his admonitions, don't worry, don't worry about it, don't worry about your life. He said, let me tell you and assure you that God is going to take care of you. So you don't have anything to worry about. When Jesus asked a question, again, it was never because he needed our answer. Can you imagine God needing an answer from you and me? No, he doesn't need it. But it was a statement. There was a statement, a message, a truth wrapped up in the question. And his question about worry brings a message to us all, especially with all this COVID going on and so many things around us being uncertain and it's Christmas time and we're wondering how am I going to get gifts and, you know, how am I going to get to see my family and am I still going to have a job and all kinds of things. We're being attacked about in the theater of our mind and that's causing us to want to worry. Well, his question about worry brings a message to us all. Worry doesn't accomplish or solve anything. But listen, dear church, faith in God does. Faith in God is constructive, does bring something productive, is good for us, and does bring results. And so worry doesn't produce a thing, but faith in God does. So Jesus said, where is your faith? Is it in something bad coming, like worry? Are you having the worry kind of faith? Or are you having the Bible kind of faith? Or you're looking up and saying, God, if you take care of the birds and you clothe the beautiful flowers of the field, you're going to take care of me. You're going to clothe me. You're going to be there for me. So I leave you with that. Worry doesn't solve a thing, but faith in God does. Now let's go to another question. I'm loving this. I'm enjoying this. 
I hope you are. This question comes out of Matthew chapter 9, verse 28. And it's a great question. And I'm going to give you the context as soon as I read the question. But here it is. Jesus asked two men who were blind. He asked them, do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? Now, the setting for this question, as I said, is Matthew 9, really beginning in verse 27 and then 28, where Jesus is approached by two blind men who are crying out to him these words, Son of David, have mercy on us. Well, it didn't take a rocket scientist to know what they wanted. They were blind. If you're blind, there's one thing you're going to want from God, and that's the healing of your sight. Now, when we read the Gospels, we find that Jesus sometimes dealt with the same problem in different ways. For instance, 10 chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, two more blind men are on the roadside as the Lord and his disciples are leaving the city of Jericho. So they're leaving Jericho, they're walking down a road, and all of a sudden there's two more blind men, 10 chapters later. And they too cry out, essentially the same thing. They say, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Same words from these blind men as the blind men 10 chapters earlier. And like before, there's two of them. So, you know, this is just the way things went down in Jesus' life. Sometimes the same problem approached him, sometimes something totally unique. But here we have two men, two different times, 10 chapters apart with the same problem. They're blind. Now, apparently the two sets of blind men, though they were identical outwardly, they were in different places within themselves. Because we note that instead of asking this second pair of blind men, like he did the first pair, he said, do you believe that I can do this with the first pair? But the second pair, this is not what he asked them. He asked them another question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Two different questions to two sets of blind men with the same problem. Yet for some reason, Jesus approached the two men both times differently with different questions. Now, I can only assume that this is because Jesus, who knew everything, he could look at you and he knew your whole history. He knew all about you immediately. He read their mail and he knew that the two sets of blind men had two different needs and they were in two different places. So they got two different questions. The second set of blind men simply said, Lord, that our eyes may be open. But the first two were asked a different question. Do you believe that I can do this? Now, the question Jesus asked them was designed to set them up for the miracle they longed for. Now, I'm talking about the two, the first two blind men. The second two blind men just needed to say, Lord, this is what we need. And sometimes that's all we need to tell God. Here's what I need. I need a job, Lord. I need this relationship healed. I need this, that, or the other. This is what I need. But I believe that the reason Jesus asked the first two blind men what do you want me to do for you? And do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? I believe he asked them that because he was setting them up for their miracle because it required them to make a profession of faith. 
Do you believe I can do this? Second group, what do you want me to do for you? Well, I want my eyes healed. First group, do you believe I can do this? Now, they have to give a profession of faith. And that's what Jesus was after because he was, he was lifting, I believe, the level of their faith by requiring a profession of their faith. He was moving them and prompting them to make a faith-filled confession. So Jesus' question was the beginning of the miracle that this first two, these first two men wanted. Uh, his question was the beginning of the miracle because it required them to say, yes, Lord. And that's the only thing they said. They said, oh yeah, we believe, you know, we, you know, we believe this and that and the other. And we know that you've healed others and you can heal us. No, they kept their response to two words. Yes, Lord, we believe you can do this. And you know, two words express great faith. You know, sometimes the greatest prayers in the Bible were very short, very short. Uh, even the Lord's Prayer, you can read the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the greatest prayer in the Bible, I believe, is the Lord's Prayer. You can read that Lord's Prayer in 60 seconds, 120 seconds, maybe. It's not a long prayer, but it covers virtually every need in your life. And here, these two men, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. That's it. Yes, we believe you can do it. Verses 29 to 30 says, then he touched their eyes. As soon as they said, yes, Lord, he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith. Now watch this, everybody. According to your faith as expressed in your confession. Yes, Lord, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Wow. Powerful. So here we see that a question from Jesus to somebody in great need was designed to stir up their faith for the miracle he was about to perform. So I ask all of you, and I'm asking myself as, as well as I bring this word to you, what are you believing God for? What, what is on your list of most needed things? What miracle? Are you believing for a miracle? Of course, any answer to prayer in my book is a miracle on one level or another, but some answers are definitely more profoundly miraculous than others. And so what are you believing God for today? What, what have you asked the Lord to do for you? Think about it. Whatever it is, I ask you what Jesus asked those blind men. Do you believe he can do it? Do you believe he can do it? Do you believe he can do it? Perhaps we could all look up to him right now. And just say together, Lord, I believe you can do this. Let's do it. What are you believing God for? Some of you are believing God for a spouse. You've been waiting a long time. You're tired of kind of doing life alone. And you feel like that God's called you to marriage, but there's nobody there. And you're believing God for the right person. Some of you are believing God for a job. Some of you for a miracle healing in your body, like these two blind men. Some of you are believing for God to touch a runaway, renegade, rebellious child who used to walk with God, but now has walked away. Some of you are believing God uh, just for peace in the middle of this national <clears throat> storm. Whatever it is you're believing God for, I want us just to lift our hands right where we are and just say, 
together. Are you ready to do it? Let's do it. Let's just say it together. Lord, I believe you can do this. Come on, let's try it again. Lord, I believe you can do this. Let's do it one more time. Whatever it is you're believing God to do. Let's, let's say what these two blind men said. Lord, I believe you can do this. I believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what? I believe with you. I believe that God can do it. Uh, no doubt about God's ability. Amen. Well, I'm loving answering these questions. Aren't these questions powerful? Aren't they wonderful? Because when Jesus asked a question, it wasn't like anybody else asking a question. Uh, they probe, they make us think, they teach truth, and they bring us to a higher level of faith. So let's look at one more uh, before we close for the night. I love this one. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 12, do you realize what I have done for you? Do you realize what I have done for you? What a fantastic probing question. Like I said, I love this one because there have been times that I've stopped and asked myself you know, and, and said to myself, talked to myself about this kind of thing. Like, Lord, um, you know, I need to really consider what you have done for Jeff Wickwire, what you've done for me. And, and all of us could, could stop and ponder what Jesus has done for us. Now, let me take you to the context. The context is that Jesus has just taken a towel and amazingly washed the disciples' feet. They were very perplexed by him doing this and even protested. Of course, Peter was at the head of the protesters and he said, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus says to them, what I am doing, I love this folks, what I am doing, you do not understand now but you will understand later. John 13, seven. What, I, what I'm doing, you don't understand it now, but you will understand it later. So back to the question, because this statement from Jesus dovetails with his question that he gave a few minutes later. Do you realize what I've done for you? He, he first said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you're gonna understand it later. Then, a few minutes later, Jesus said, do you realize what I've done for you? Has it occurred to you yet, now that a few minutes have elapsed? Has it occurred to you yet uh, what I've done, what, wh why I did this? Do you understand why I've done this in your life? And you know that, we could just take that question. And I'm going to tell you, there have been times I looked up and I said, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing in my life. I don't. Uh, I remember when I was called to preach. I'll give you an example. I was called to preach as a teenager. And I was, I mean, red hot on fire for God. I I couldn't wait to preach. I, You talk about having to pull the reins back. The Lord had to pull the reins back on me. Say, whoa, wait a minute. Let me, let me prepare you. Let me teach you. Let me kind of get you ready for this before I turn you loose the way you're wanting to be turned loose. And I can remember that the waiting on God for the ministry that I really believed he had called me to, to materialize, it turned from weeks to months to years. And yes, I was teaching and I was preaching, but not anything like I really felt God had called me to. I felt that there was something stronger and, and bigger and more far reaching and reaching the masses and 
Well, hint, hint, a lot of what I'm doing now, <clears throat> I thought I was going to be doing it in my low 20s. It just didn't happen that way. And I can remember the waiting really began to grind on me. It really began to work on me until finally I could honestly say, I, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. And I remember reading the verse where Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing now but you will understand it later. And I can tell you right now, if I could just slip into a little bit of a prophetic and talk right to you mode for a minute. Some of you don't understand what God's doing with you right now. You've been waiting on him. You have prayed, you have fasted, you've bound and loosed. You've named it and claimed it, blabbed it and grabbed it. And it's just not happening. And yet, you know in your heart, you know by what God has shown you, by the call on your heart, and by the gift that he's given you, that you are going to do a certain thing, yet it's not materializing. Let me quote you that verse again. What I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will understand later. So I can tell you, looking back, I can see exactly why God had the reins on me, was pulling me back a lot, and uh, because he wanted to get me prepared for what I would never have known ministry held, not just the reaching the people, but all the trials, the things that you encounter in ministry with people, all the difficulties, the hurts, the betrayals, the different things that you encounter, um, knowing the word well enough to really get out there and minister that word to people. I mean, there's just a lot of things that go with preparation. And I would note, and I want you to note with me, the Bible says Jesus called the disciples first to be with him, to be with him, not to minister, not to go out into the highways and hedges and perform the miracles and reach the masses. No, first he called them to be with him. That's a verse I'm quoting. And after they had been with him for a good long season, he finally began to send them out in groups of 12 and 70, and so on and so forth. But but first, to be with him. And, and I'm going to tell you, that's what he's doing with you right now. He's calling you to be with him. And yes, you've got this burning vision, but I'm going to tell you, you don't understand what he's doing now, but you will understand it later. Because once he begins to open the doors and you're more fully in what you believe he's called you to, to do and be, you're going to look back and you're going to say, Lord, thank you that you did not turn me loose that you did not open that door, that you did not do what I was wanting you to do way back then, because Lord, I couldn't have handled it without the preparation that you took me through. So I'm leaving that with you. That's free. That's not in my notes. I want you to think about that. But the implication is this, that God sometimes does things for us through his amazing grace that are very meaningful and we don't understand fully what he's doing at the time. We don't stop to think about it. We don't consider it. We don't pray and we don't ponder that, well, maybe what he has for me is going to require some real preparation. Now, with the disciples, what he was doing was he was teaching them not to compete with one another, not to try to be the guy at the top, but he gird himself, he grabbed a towel, and God the Son knelt down and washed their feet. And that's what he said. What I'm doing, 
You don't understand it now, but you're going to understand it later. Because they were so inclined to fight about who's going to be at the top, who's going to be Jesus' top man, who's going to be at the at the head of the pack. And Jesus was letting them know, no, 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 no. Here, here's what I'm trying to teach you. You don't get it, but here's what I'm trying to teach you. I want you to be a servant. I want you to love one another. I want you to put one another above yourselves. I want you to learn servanthood. That's what I'm trying to teach you. So what is he trying to teach you right now? Servanthood was the message for the disciples. But what is Jesus wanting you and me to learn right now at this stage in our life, walking with him, walking through this COVID thing, all that we've been through? What is Jesus? Because he's always teaching. What is he trying to teach us? Do you know what I, the Lord, have done to you? Do you know the mountains I've moved? Do you know the prayers I've answered? Do you know the crooked roads that I've made straight? So I'm asking us the question again, now you and me, what he asked the disciples, do you know what I have done to you and for you? Do you know? Do you know? Have you thought about it? Instead of being frustrated, have you stopped to pray and just say, Lord, what are you doing in me and through me? What are you wanting to teach me? Because he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. So I want to, um, I just want to close with that question being posed to all of us together. Do you know what I've done for you? And I want to be able to say, Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening. Show me, teach me out of your word. Bring it home to me. What are you wanting me to learn? so that I can know what you're doing to me and for me and through me. And as I understand it better, I'll be able to step up to the next level and take my next step forward in faith. So I leave you with that question. I think it's worth praying about as soon as we go go off and, and the teaching is done and, and um, I don't see you again till Sunday. What is God doing to you, for you, through you? Lord, I pray, teach us all these things. Help us to understand them. And thank you for these wonderful questions that Jesus asked men. Because in asking them, he asked us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've enjoyed being with you. See you Sunday. I'm looking forward to seeing many more of you that haven't returned yet, but you're starting to sense, boy, it's time for me to get back to the house of God and get back in church. So I hope to see you Sunday at nine or 11. Until then, God bless you is my prayer.